when you feel that you come from nothing and when you feel that all you get, you know, you're getting is better, the challenges are minimized. As a disclaimer, everything that my guests and I say are individual opinions and do not represent the opinions of the Marine Corps and the Department of Defense. Now let's jump into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are going to have a conversation with Jose Montavon. Sir, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good morning. Uh, good morning. And um, first of all, you said happy birthday earlier, and I did not respond because I wanted to do it live, right? So happy birthday to you and all the Marines around the globe who continue to defend our nation. So I am doing great. It's the birthday of the Marine Corps, 248th. And what better way to celebrate it than be talking to you for a couple hours? Awesome. I'm excited, sir. Happy birthday. Um, So real quick, before I dive into your introduction, um, Lieutenant Colonel Montavon and I met, I believe it was last year, last Jules, 2022 in Norfolk, Virginia. Lieutenant Colonel in the United States Marine Corps, been in for 28 years. Uh, I'm currently the Assistant Chief of Staff for Marine Forces Japan in Jakarta Air Force Base. I'm currently doing uh, a restricted tour. So I'm here by myself for the remaining of the, you know, the the tour. That's basically what I got going on right now. There's a lot of things that we do that are really important to our nation and to our country and to our military. Awesome. Okay, so let's jump right in, sir. Can you talk about yeah. your upbringing, how you were raised? Um, I know you're an immigrant, so kind of how you got to America. It was uh, 1987 when I arrived in the United States. However, it was planning that started sometime I believe it was in November 1986 that where my mom saw that the situation in my country was not something that she desired me to grow up in. So she decided that it was best for me to leave the country. So in January 1987, she packed all my stuff, told me that I was leaving the country. She was able to get permission from my dad because my dad and her were not married at the time. And uh, I embarked on what I would say it was a tourist bus that was supposed to take us to Guatemala and come back. Uh, Needless to say, when I got off in Guatemala, I never came back. We waited for about two to three weeks, and then we got permission, a visa to get into Mexico. And we went through, uh, we crossed the Rio Grande. And this is the story that I share because it's a a pivotal moment for me. Uh, I I think that changed my life, the way that I see life, the way that I perceived uh, struggle. That was uh, a vivid story that I tend tend to share more often than not. And I put that in my story when it was typed up because uh, when they see us or when they see someone that comes from a different country, people perceive that we're coming because we just want to be immigrant and come to a country that is going to give us better opportunities. That is true to a certain degree. But what we don't talk about is the life decisions that at any minute you can die on that trip. At any minute... Someone can take your life. Somebody can take all your belongings. Somebody can rape you. Somebody can beat you up. So I try to to relate those stories because when they see me, they might see only my ranks and my ribbons, but they don't see the struggles. But I grew up in Miami, Florida, AKA Hialeah. Nobody knows where Hialeah is. So I say Miami, right? But in reality, I was raised in Hialeah, Florida. Um, We say La Ciudad Que Progresa the city that continues to, to progress. But it was a struggle. Uh, I was in reduced lunch. I was in free lunch at one point. 
Uh, my mom, who I call my mom, is my aunt and her uncle, her husband. Uh, my aunt is my mom's sister. Uh, we have one room apartment. I slept in a pull-out couch. Um, and we used to say, we might not have much, but what we have is ours. And most importantly, I might not be able to give you a steak every day, but you're definitely going to have rice and beans. So, and I get emotional a little bit, right? Because yeah. <sighs> I'm not I'm not the only one that lives that life, right? And has lived that life. I've been made fun of when it comes down to my action, uh, with the clothes that I wore, uh, the car that I drove, the work that I had, right? So for me, I'm really, I'm not going to say that I'm, you know, softer on that situation, on that stories, but I can empathize and sympathize to those stories. So I make sure, and it's, we're going to talk a little bit more about why I volunteer, but I make sure that I try to provide mentorship, assistance, and support to anyone, not just immigrants and not just uh, people with specific ethnicity, but to anyone that is struggling, anyone that needs the support, because regardless of who they are, we're all human beings. Yeah. How, how old were you, sir, when you um, immigrated? First off, thank you for sharing and being vulnerable, because I think sometimes, like you said, people see where you are now and don't really understand, you know, what kind of motive, what continues to motivate you and pushes you. And, you know, I could resonate with being, being an immigrant, right? Obviously, we came from Africa, so there was a different path that we took to get here. But just, you know, coming from a country where you have a decent life and then you kind of start over one bedroom apartment, you know, people making fun of you. Um, I, I, I resonate with that. So I appreciate you definitely, definitely sharing that. Thank you. So you were about 12 years old living in Florida. So between 12 and I'm assuming you joined the Marine Corps at 18. How, how did that transition happen? What led you to the Marine Corps? I um. I went through middle school uh, and then I went to high school. Throughout, I kept on doing some of the things that I did in Nicaragua, right? So I played in the band, I played piano. One of my infamous and famous stories, right, that I love sharing is not about, you know, uh, the struggles. It's about a teacher in eighth grade asked me, you know, you have to try out for the piano. And they were talking about doing uh, the Christmas. Uh, play like the Christmas um, musical play, and I said, "Sounds good, I'll do it." And I win the position. I win the solo, and it's on piano. And she said, "Jose, you won, and you beat everybody else, so you get to do it on your own in front of everybody. It's a solo. It's a solo piece. The entire auditorium is going to be there." And I was scared, right? And uh, mm -hmm. so I walked in. And I sat and she was sitting right next to me. And I look up and I see over 500 parents and, and kids. The auditorium was filled and I start playing. And when I played and I finished, everybody started clapping. And at that moment, I realized that I could, you know, I could achieve a lot of things if I just push myself to the uncomfortable spot. So that drove many other things that you know, people didn't know. That's another story I haven't shared with anyone. So you're, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm opening up to you and I'm even dressed up because of you, right? Um, but that drove me to wanting to do more and wanting to be better and wanting to achieve more many things that maybe other people did not. I graduated from high school. I wasn't 
I had my work permit, right? So I was legal in the United States, but I didn't have my resident card. I had applied for it, but I was not. Uh, I had not been approved. I was going through the process. I had a lawyer and it was taking a while. So I did not join right after high school. So what I, I was doing at that point was working two jobs. I was working for Walmart and I was also working for Parks and Recreation for the city of uh, Miami, Ohio Lee, I'm sorry. So I was doing those and that's where my passion of coaching comes from. So I spent a year coaching soccer and softball and baseball and, and, and basketball and you name it. And I loved it. And uh, so I kept on, and, but I was working two hours, I mean, two jobs. And I was waking up at five in the morning, going to one job and then rushing to the next one. And I was not happy. I was accepted to Florida, uh, to University of Florida out of high school. And I, I found my financial aid just like everybody else. I did not know I wanted to be the first kid to go to college from my family. Right. And I did everything. I took the, the SATs, the ACTs. I did my financial aid. I did everything. And then uh, when he came back, he said that I needed to pay $750 or something like that. And I was, I was like, I can do this. I can definitely do this. If I'm working two jobs, I can definitely do this. And then they sent me a notice, please submit your resident alien card or your citizenship card. And I was like, what are you talking about? Right? Like I got a work permit number. And so I did not know that if you were not a resident alien or a citizen, you don't rate financial aid. So all my dreams, all my goals, or everything that I thought I was going to work for at the University of Florida just disappeared, right? So at that point, I'm, I'm pretty upset. I'm pretty disappointed. My family says, okay, well, you know, you still got to go to college, right? So I went to Miami Day. I signed up for four classes. Out of the four classes, I passed, I passed one class. And that was weightlifting. And that's with a D, right? With a D. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, so I was upset. I was disappointed. Mm -hmm. I saw my dreams disappear. I did not want to be at Miami Dade Community College. I wanted to be at the University of Florida. Um, but then one day, I remember there was a Marine recruiter that had talked to me. And I went to see him. And once again, he said, you don't have a resident card. I cannot do that. Well, come back to see me when you get your resident card. But during the entire time that I was going through the process, he would come visit mm -hmm. once a month, once every two weeks. He would call me and say, hey, come see me. He had, it, was, it took a long time. It took about a year. And he just kept on talking to me and kept on visiting and checking up on me. When the day, come, when the day came, I think it was September 24th when I had to go to court. And I remember that, right, in uh, 1995. I reflect on that day because I did have a lot of things from middle school and high school that I had achieved. I just didn't see that when, you know, when I didn't, uh, when I started going to the Miami Day. The judge said approved. They stamped it. They gave me a temporary number, which became my, my formal number. And I ran to the recruiter. I gave him my paperwork. And he said, uh, when can you go? I said, today. I want to go to the maps today. He's like, I can't go to maps today because it's the afternoon. You got to wait until tomorrow. And he <laughs> said, why are you in such a hurry? Uh, why are you like in such a hurry to go to maps? I said, my mom, aka my aunt, is in Costa Rica. She will not let me sign up if she's here. So we need to go before she comes back. <laughs> and, 
we need to go before she comes back. So we went the next day. I raised my right hand and I said, I'll, I do. And I, I'm going to go for this. So my aunt came back a couple of days later with my uncle, her husband. We picked her up at the airport, Miami International Airport. He's quiet the entire time. He didn't say anything. <laughs> um, he knew he didn't say anything. And we get, you know, we get to um, to the house. He helps take out the luggage from the truck. He starts the car. My mom goes, where are you going? We have to open the bags so I can give you what I brought for you. And he said, Jose Luis has something to tell you. I'll be back. And he drove He up. left. <laughs> he left. <laughs> he dropped up, right? He dropped us off and he left. And he's like, and she's like, what, what do you have to tell me? And I told her, needless to say, she didn't talk to me for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. um, but what drove me to answer your question, long stories, right? But you, you might appreciate it and, and you do with, with them what you want, uh, is that all those things that I share with you are the reason why I joined, right? I joined because I wanted a better life. I joined because I wanted to go to college and I didn't have the money. I wanted to travel, I didn't have the money. I was working two jobs, but I didn't see a future. Even though some of them were like, why don't you stay? You know, And even the city of Hialeah was like, with the park and recreation, if you stay, we have this program, we'll send you to college, get an associate degree, and then you can become a manager for a park. But I still didn't, I just didn't see that that was what I wanted at that moment. So I joined looking for a better future. I looked for something that was going to allow me to be who I thought I wanted to be. Now, we're gonna talk about the transition, but that's how I joined. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna ask later on as to why I stayed. And I look forward to answering that question, but mm -hmm. I joined because I just couldn't stay in the same place and look back 20, 30 years down the road and say, I could have been that, or I could have been a Marine when I knew that I had what it take and I knew that I could achieve that and more. That's that's pretty powerful, sir, because I I tell people all the time, you know, the Marine Corps changed my life. Crazy how similar of a story we have. And I, I, I had no idea, right? Like I said, I knew you were an immigrant, but like wave top stuff, but same thing, right? I had... I try to go to college. You can't go to college on a work permit. You need a green card. Try to join the army. Then all of a sudden the Marine Corps recruiter appears and is consistent with checking in, even though I am not necessarily a candidate at the time. So um, the Marine Corps changed my life as I could see. It definitely did change yours. Just the trajectory of where my life is right now. You, you join the Marine Corps um, and I know you have an illustrious long career. So if you could talk about I guess the challenges that you faced as an enlisted Marine and then what your transition was like to the officer corps. Um, and uh, yeah. So when, and, and I think that you might uh, appreciate this, right? And many people might. When you feel that you come from nothing and when you feel that all you get, you know, you're getting is better, the challenges are minimized. Coming from the fact that I was sleeping at one point from a pull-out couch, and now I have a barracks room. Yes, I have a roommate, but I have a bed that I don't have to pull out from a couch. Or I don't have to work most of the time on the weekends, right? That was something new to me. When 
I was enlisted, I struggle, right? I struggle with the sense of I'm getting a lot more than I have that I had before. You know, I, I did do do the same things that you know junior marines did, go dancing and go have wings and, and you know and and pizza and and have whatever it is, right? And barbecue outside. And I did all those things. I can tell you that there was not something that I can tell you that it was a struggle. I loved it. And 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 it's gonna sound weird, right? Because uh, why did you transition? But I loved it, and and I loved every single minute of it. Even when it was a challenge, I had a marine that was always there for me. Even when somebody made fun of me, there was always a marine that'd be like, "Don't talk to him that way." I can tell you that there was a challenge with the language to a certain degree, because I was still embarrassed with the accent. There was more friends than not, and. To this point, Dean Slusher, I've known him for about 20, 26, 27 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Shorter, 27 years. Jana Dixon, 26 years. Claudia, you know, 26 years. Those friendships that I gained when I was enlisted, they're still with me. What's funny, right, is that some of them is like, call me sir. And I'm like, do what you do. <laughs> And, and they're like, sure, sir. And I was like, no, um, I'm Monty. But I wish I could tell you like a struggle that was like to a point that I would say I wouldn't do it again. But I did not. It was everyone was always looking out for me. Everyone was always taking care of me. If I said something that was wrong, they will correct me. If I let something or I made multiple mistakes, they will lift me up. It was not about. I had struggles when I was enlisted that drove me to become an officer. It was not about anything that was bad because I loved it. It was not the friendships. It was none of that. It was the fact that, and I'll tell you a story. I come back and there's a sergeant that is going to the Naval Academy. I look at the order because I was admin and it says transfer. And I remember this reading this, right? Transfer to the United States Naval Academy for permanent duty as a student. And I was like, what? Enlisted Marines going to a Naval Academy? How is that possible? And I turned to one of the Marines. Do you know that enlisted Marines can become students at a Naval Academy? It's like, yeah. It's like, but I don't know if we can transition another way. And there was a corporal, Corporal Scott, right? And he's like, yes, there's other programs. And I said, what are you talking about? And he showed me the MISEP and he showed me the ECP the Enlisted Commissioning Program package, the order, and he showed me the Marine Enlisted Commissioning uh, Education Program, right? The MISA, if I got the acronym correct. And he showed me this, and I start reading. The light bulbs go up, right? Like, they light up, and I start thinking, and I'm like, well, how do I tell anyone that I want to do this? Would, would anyone follow me, right? I went home, and I talked to Jonathan Shoulder. And that is in my story because that moment was really impactful for me. And I said, Shorty, I'm thinking about applying for this. But my concern is that I don't know if I'm good enough. And he comes back and he says, Monty, if you get selected, I'll follow you anywhere. So at that point, that was what drove me, right? And I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> no, that is a really, 
that is a really powerful moment which drives me to help others. If he says something different, I'm not an officer. You would think it's like, where was he from? Probably another Hispanic, probably you know, someone that cared, that knew him for a long time, but I only know him shorter at that point. I think it was like six, seven months. And he was from South Carolina. So when you start looking at this, and when people say that you only support Hispanics and minorities, God, that is far from the truth. I learned through my enlisted time that you support anyone and everyone, regardless of race, ethnicity, background, because we all need our support system and we all need the help. And with that, we can achieve anything, all our dreams, all our goals. So when Shorty said that, he transformed and changed my life. So before the letter, before the article came out, uh, that if you Google me, you'll find that story. Mm-hmm. I gave him a call and I said, thank you for doing that. You might not know the impact that you had on me, but I want you to know that I included you in this story. Without you, I'm not a lieutenant colonel. There's, there's something that I try to live by now is, you know, make the most of every interaction, especially with our Marines, yeah. because you never know how just taking a few minutes, you know, talking to someone, just kind of motivating them and helping them is, is could literally change their life or save their life, you know? Yeah. So that, um, you said Jonathan Shorty, was he your friend? Shorter. Was he shorter? Jonathan Shorty. Shorty. Yeah, but he's shorter, yes. So you were, was he your sergeant or was he just another Marine or what was he your was, relationship? Uh, he was my roommate. Okay, okay. And you were, so you said a couple of things that I want to go back to. You said yeah. there was a, a language barrier, um, a lack of confidence in your accent. So were you, you're obviously um, bilingual, but did you yes. learn English in the United States or how how did your like language or why is your your accent and being bilingual, why was that like a confidence thing for you? I would say that initially I learned some words through listening to Michael Jackson when I was in Nicaragua, right? So I would sing the songs, but I didn't know what they meant. Okay. So I, 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 I got down with Michael Jackson in Nicaragua, but I had no idea what I was saying. When I was growing up in Helia, it was made obvious that my accent was really thick, right? That I needed to slow down, that I needed that, that whenever I get excited or I got excited that my accent comes out more because you just go back to just saying the things without thinking through other things, right? And um, in my writing as well, right? Because I knew how to write really well in Spanish, but I didn't know how to write in English. There's some formatting and grammar that change. So I was more of uh, self-conscious about it because I didn't want people to make fun of me, right? It was one of those things that when I was going middle school, high school, kids would make fun of Right. So I spent a lot more time speaking Spanish uh, and I only spoke English in classes. So, so I was self-conscious about it. OK, so were you did you learn English in the United States or did you kind of know like where? I did. I did. I did. Oh, you did. I learned, OK. Wow. I, did. I learned English in the United States. Right. I'm better even to this point at writing than speaking it. I recommend anyone. Right. It's, uh, we the language, the language barrier builds your confidence or destroys it. 
if somebody makes fun of you, it prevents you from speaking out and actually sharing your thoughts. So I made, I made it a point, especially after I joined the Marine Corps, that if I wanted to change and become a corporal, a lance corporal, a sergeant, and at one point I wanted to be a first sergeant, a sergeant major, uh, I needed to be able to communicate. So I forced myself once again to be in an uncomfortable environment that even though I had some Hispanic friends in the area like with me, um, I would try to speak English, right? Um, I would make sure that I was trying to practice it. Dean uh, from Ohio, uh, Shorter from South Carolina, Benton, right, from Florida. Um, and all of them, it was just, we were spending a lot of time together and it was only English, right? So there were some Hispanic friends that I had, but it was mainly African-Americans and Caucasians that I was uh, spending a lot of time with. I was not using them. It was just the relationship that we had. They were either my roommates or they were friends of mine that we would go play basketball, you know, or we would do different things. And it helped me overcome the barrier and it helped me become more proficient in English. But even to this day, I make sure that if there's a word and I tell everybody, it's not a shame. I'll, I'll tell anyone right now is that if there's a word that I have to say or I have to read, right? And I don't understand it. I, not understand it, but if I don't understand it, I research it. That, that's a given that, because I don't know all the words. So if there's a word that I see in paper or somebody says a word that I don't know what it is, I make sure I go research it. And it helps me become a little bit smarter, right? But then if I'm going to say something and I'm like, ah, uh, that word is going to come out with my accent, I find another word that no kidding means the same thing within the sentence. And I, I use a different word that I know that my accent is not going to come out as much. I still learning English, if you want to say that. I'm okay. still making sure that I do not take that for granted. Uh, and, and one of the things that I'm always pushing for is learning and reading and, and, and speaking as much as I can. That's great. That's awesome. Okay. That's interesting because just being aware, you're aware of how you want to be presented, even though, you know, I, I could say now maybe there's, there's more confidence, but like you're constantly working on that and that's pretty phenomenal. So go, going back to your officer transition, what rank were you when you decided to go ahead and um, pursue the officer corps? A Lance Corporal. So what path did you take? I took MESEP. But it was not, so it goes back to the confidence piece. I was in Lance Corporal, and I tell Marines nowadays, like, I still have my floppy disk where I put all my paperwork, I put everything in there. I still have my floppy disk. Mm -hmm. And one of those days when I go back home, I'm going to take a picture and I'm going to show it because people don't believe it. And it says Lance Corporal. And then I scratched, I crashed it over when it said Corporal, right? And I, um, I went through Boost, the Brighton Opportunity, right? Uh, program that disappeared, or it got discontinued in 2002, I believe it was. Uh, some people have said that it continued to 2005. Uh, the point is that it's no longer there. People ask me, why did you go to Boost? I wanted to learn. I wanted to, to learn more. I didn't want to go to college and just fail, right? I, I wanted to make sure that I was ready to go to college. I wanted to make sure that I got the training in the education. And I thought Boost was gonna be great because I will be attending in 1999, but I had graduated from high school in 1994. So I felt that I needed to get back into it. Going to college for me was not just to go to college. 
right? It was about graduating, doing the best that I could, and then uh, just being the first one in the family to graduate from college, right? So I went to Booz, and at the end of Booz, it's not a guarantee that you're gonna, you were going to miss up. It all depended on your grades, depended on your leadership style, um, and uh, a couple other things that they had evaluation. So my purpose in life when I was in Booz, every six weeks, you would get academic reviews. So if you were failing and we would take a test or two, actually we had three tests every week, English, math, and science. You fell one of those tests, you knew you were leaning towards going to see the academic provision, right? You fell two, you knew you were going, depending on your GPA, right? Um, so my whole purpose in life was, I am not going into that office, no matter what. Um, now I got talked to, you know, because, you know, we, we would go out and party and, and dance and it was like, you guys are not putting that, that emphasis on the Saturday to study and, you know, and you guys got to be careful. But, uh, when he came down to school, I knew that I was taking Saturday off. I would go salsa dancing. I would go and, and, uh, merengue dancing, you know, and all this sort of stuff, but I was studying and I would take Friday off. And I would come back to Sunday. Sunday morning, I was back in the books, right? So anything else was study, study, study. So I'm happy to say that I'm a Boots graduate from uh, 19, uh, from 2000, because I went to the class of 1999. And at the end, they offered me to go to MISA. And I gladly accepted it. Um, now, I didn't go to University of Florida, and people wonder why. And it was, I was, I had applied to University of Florida, um, they had talked about maybe a walk-on scholarship, and and I don't know if that was true. That was from my coach that he was always trying to pump me up to do better, and that was Coach Evans. Uh, so to this day, I don't know if that is accurate, but uh, I will tell you that I validated, I validated it when I applied to University of Florida because they told me, look, you had a walk-on scholarship, and uh, for what I remember, that's what she said, and you were. Um, you, they, you know, I cannot approve you anymore because you cost us some money. Now, once oh. again, she didn't go into the details. I didn't ask mm -hmm. for the details. All I heard was, you cannot come to University of Florida. So I applied to Florida State, right? Okay. And uh, University of Jacksonville, University of South Florida, and uh, University of, I, I don't remember what the other one was, but I applied to four. So I ended up going to Florida State. But oh, it nice. was me set. Okay, awesome. So you you graduated, you got your degree, and then I don't know. It, it was probably different back then. OCS, TBS, and yeah. then you got assigned your MOS. So what what MOS were you assigned as an officer? I'm a logistics officer by trade. Logistics. Uh, okay. I got my number one choice. Uh, at one point, I thought that I was going to become an adjutant because I put it as number five, <laughs> and I was scared. Uh, I said, "Why was I thinking of doing that?" But I put logistics. I went the logistics route because at that point, I'm prime listed. At 20 years, there's a possibility that I'm going to retire, right? So I need to make sure that the job that I have translates to the civilian sector. I don't want to get out of the military and feel that my traits and things that I have will not translate. Now I look back and I'm like, well, I didn't know what I thought I knew because 99.9% like of the jobs that we have translates to the civilian sector. Mm 
one way or another. So I wish to a point that I kind of like knew that because mm -hmm. maybe I wouldn't have made the choice that I did. But I have zero regrets by going to become a logistician. Um, so I, I want to expand on something you said, sir. So you said um, now when you mentor people, you kind of have them forecast about long term career, right? You thought at 20 years you were going to get out and what's going to translate. So where do you think that mentality came from? Because what I, I think and I see and in my experience is a lot of Marines and a lot of leaders, I don't think we do a good job or a good enough job of setting our people up for the future, regardless of the Marine Corps or not. So where do you think you got that philosophy from? From my mom. Okay. Right. Um, is to this day, she won't say it, but uh, I'm still scared of her <laughs> words, uh, of what she's going to say when she gets mad. Right. Um, but I also had, you know, once again, I, uh, at that point, he was Gunner Sergeant Perry. But by the time I commissioned, he was uh, Sergeant Major Perry. Willie Perry Jr., African-American, again, and I'm going to tell you why I make a point of that. Um, and he would mentor me, right? And he would tell me, regardless, he was the one that gave me my first salute, right? He drove from Camp Lejeune, August 1st. He, like, actually... He got there, I'm sorry, he got there just in time because my family was partying it up with me, right? <laughs> and he got there, he, he broke bread with us. He gave me his my first salute on August 2nd and he drove back, oh, wow. right? And he drove with uh, McCray, right? Uh, who retired as a master sergeant, they both drove. I had served with them in Pensacola and McCray and, and Ham drove. And that was another significant event for me. Because it's not just about telling Marines that you're going to be there, but actually be there when they need you. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So he drove and he would always tell me that the future was what I made it, right? That you have to have long plans, long-term plans. You can have desires of doing something in two to three years. That's great. Some goals that maybe is achievable in a, in a year, in a month. But what about debt? What happens after that? So between them two, they always drove me to have a short, a mid, and a long-term plan, right? So for me, it was, all right, well, I need to get promoted to captain, right? That was my short-term kind of deal. First of all, I needed to get promoted to first lieutenant, right? That's not a guarantee per se. <laughs> Everybody says it is, but it's not, right? You can get in trouble. You can do a bunch of stuff. So when people say it's a guarantee, you're minimizing your accomplishments because not everybody gets to do that. Right. So for me, I wanted to be a first lieutenant. I wanted to be a captain. And then I'm like, you know what? Where do I go next? And I made those plans with the idea that I wanted to be a captain, that I wanted to have an opportunity to be a major by the time I got to 20 years because I was prime listed. Right. I wanted to be selected. I wanted to know and have that op option that if I wanted to continue to serve, that I had that opportunity. But if I decided to retire 20 years, that I was going to at least be a major. Right. That was my goal. That was mindset. But it all came down with those two. One, because I was scared and I'm still scared of my mom. I didn't I did not want to disappoint Sergeant Major Perry. Why do you continue to serve, sir? You're obviously beyond the 20 year mark. The average Marine will serve 20 years. So why do you continue to go beyond? Why do you continue to serve? People ask me that all the time. Every time there's, you know, like all these stories, right? Like 
drive different moments, different, different things. What people don't know is that I came close to retirement, right? If I did not get selected for Lieutenant Colonel, because I, I, I went and took a joint tour. Um, if I didn't get selected, I was going to retire. It just happened to be that I was selected after being the field grade of the year for integrated missile defense, after being owner graph for missile defense course. Why do I continue serving? And I will tell you that I continue serving for people like you. I continue serving for people like our Catherine Morales. She just got promoted to captain. You know, Hernandez, he went to OCS twice. Arturo Hernandez. I continue to serve because there's, I just go down the line and I have it here. It's like, I can show you, I have like 40, 40 captains and below, right? That reach out to me and they ask me for advice. I have master sergeants, gunnies that I talk to about the mentorship programs and the things that we do. I, con I continue serving because when I lined up to the PFT, People ask me, it's like, sir, you're like, you're 48. Why are you, why are you running the PFT? You should be rowing. And I was like, no, if you do it, I want to do it. And then I continue to serve because even though I'm a little nervous at the PFT run, right? I'm older, uh, you know, I have to sign a waiver to be able to run it now, I guess. Or, or I got to be able to tell them, right? When I take off, I feel that I am that private running. And when I pass a Marine, or I pass someone that is my rank, or someone that's younger than me, it gives me energy. Not energy to like show off on them, right? But energy to come back and be, if I do it, so can you. We need to get better. So the energy that I get and the excitement that I get talking to Marines, the opportunity that I have is not necessarily for the rank, but is because I want to continue serving. And I tell people, and my son says it, says it all the time, when they ask me, right, he will be sitting right next to me. He'll be like, Gunny, it's not a job for him. It's a hobby. And you would ask him, what's the difference? And he said, a work is because you have to, but a hobby, because you love it. He will tell you that because he has asked me that and he has answered that way to staff sergeants and warrant officers when he's with me. You have trained him well. I was like, no, I talked to him about that because mm -hmm. it's the mentality that we need to have. It's not about going to work. It is to a certain degree, right? But it's the love that comes with serving, the love that comes with serving with Marines, the friendships, the networking, right? Because some of them are civilians that you might not know or mm -hmm. Marines who served in a different capacity before and they got out, oh, that gives me energy. And, you know, I can tell you that I will continue serving. And I know that I've gotten old when I tell people, it's like, if I had to do it again, I will do it again. And so I know that it, my time is coming to an end. Our legacy are our Marines. Our legacy is how far the Marines that serve with us. But when our Marines make it to Gunny or First Sergeant or Sergeant Major, or when our Marines achieve their goals for the personal purposes and also their career, that drives me. And I tell you that once I'm gone, I, I hope that I see pictures of Sergeant Majors in websites and I'm like, that was mine, right? I worked mm -hmm. with him, he served per se under me, or that was the Colonel 
that he was a captain and he made it there. And, and to me, that would make me happier than me being a general officer or being something that I just, I don't know. I just spend more time talking and mentoring. That's awesome. Building a community and not necessarily per se for any benefit, but for the benefit of the Marine Corps and society, because when this uniform does come off, we have better people at the end of it. But I want to go back to something you said about the PFT. <laughs> we all get nervous, sir, every single one of us. Um, but I think it's important to see to see our leadership out there, right? And I say leadership, senior officers, mm -hmm. senior staff and CEOs. And for me right now, my master gun. So I got to Okinawa in August and, and you're in Japan, sir. So you know the humidity. I don't know if it's the same over there, but running out here was crazy. And um, we did a run on September 11th. My master guns took the whole G1 out and we went on a run. And that run kicked my behind. Um, mm -hmm. I was just struggling to breathe. But seeing my master gun, seeing my major pushing, like it just kind of makes you want to be better. So I, I appreciate, <laughs> I definitely appreciate you saying that. Let's let's move on to, so I want to talk about social media, but before then I want to talk about recruiting duty because I know your recruiter was a huge impact in your life, I could say. Um, and I know I see your social media posts. You you encourage recruiting, and you definitely speak about your experience as a as you know on recruiting duty. And I want to know like where where does that encouragement come from, and why do you talk so so highly of recruiting? Because we know a lot of Marines don't feel the same way. So I'm curious to know what your perspective is on that. Oh wow! I was waiting for this. I don't know that that was on the list of of questions that you were going to ask me, but. I'm ready. I'm ready for that one. Many people talk about how difficult it is, and it is. But it's, it's challenging, but you own it. It's on you, right? It's on you to make mission. It's on you to find that kid that you are willing to change his life for. That recruiter that I had, and you hear the voice just change, right? That recruiter that I just had back in 1994, who had let me go, but he didn't. Do you think that I was going to be like one of his numbers? The answer is no, not for an entire year, but he didn't let go. If he would have gotten like, like he would let me go.